Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. I must admit that um, the message I'm going to preach this morning was not what I had planned up to two weeks ago. Amen. While I was preparing, I thought it was time for preflection. And two weeks ago, I came for the 9 a.m. service. Just wanted to sit down and ponder this message. Amen. In the presence of God, in the house of the Lord. But as it will turn out, Pastor Julian preached exactly the same message I was going to preach, which was on the book of Job. So you can imagine how excited I was at receiving that word. But Rose tried to encourage me and said, well, look on the positive side. What if you are not in church that, that week? You'll have come to church today and preached exactly the same message. But I thank God we have another message. Amen. I'm going to preach on a topic I've called neighbors. Amen. Neighbors. When we move into a new area, most of us, if not all of us, are quite particular about who our neighbors are and what they are like. Amen. This can be a source of pain or a source of joy, depending on who lives, who lives next door to you. And uh, Rose and I once went to a, an open house viewing. I don't know how many of us know what an open house viewing is. You know what estate agents do nowadays to save time? If you wanted, there was a, a property for rent or, or for sale. They would just book a one-hour slot where everyone who is interested in viewing that house comes within that one hour. So you can come anytime, in and out as you please. So we went to this place. There were many people in and out. And the uh, house owner was there as well. And I overheard one of the people who had come as well to, to view this property asking the homeowner, what are the neighbors like on both sides of this property? Now, obviously, I don't know how objective the answer was, but I realized that this is important to many of us. Who is the person who lives next door to myself? And the nation as well is preoccupied with this topic of neighbors. There are even TV programs nowadays about neighbors. And I think it's safe to say it's a popular topic because if it wasn't, these programs wouldn't be there. If you know about media, ratings drive media. Ratings drive what programs are aired. If not many people are watching the program, the plug is pulled on that program. So clearly this topic on, of neighbors is something that he's a code in many of us. One of the programs is actually entitled The Nightmare Neighbor Next Door. Another program, again, that's on TV, is called Neighbors from Hell. And I hope that none of us here today meet the criteria to appear on those programs. Now, there was a man in the Bible who also had questions of his own about neighbors. And I would read from Luke chapter 10, from verse 25 to 37. This is the story that is commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Amen. Jesus realized that many of us may read the same thing, but our understanding of it may be different. So it was important that he asked this man, yes, I know you know the law. You know what is written, but what is your understanding of it? What is your interpretation of the law that you read and know so well? It's worth noting that this man was a lawyer. It's not a legal lawyer as we would know nowadays. This was someone who was an expert in the law of God. So as far as knowing the law was concerned, there was no question whether he knew the law or not. The question was, what was his understanding of the law? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He was basically quoting, these scriptures are two separate ones. The loving your God is from Deuteronomy, loving your neighbor from Leviticus. And also he knew the law. And Jesus pretty much thought, well, the answer is simple. If you know the law, if you go and do that, you will have eternal life. Because that's the prerequisite. You know it, just do it. But the man goes on and he says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answers and says, A certain man went down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Here in this story, we find pretty much the most important question any human being could ever ask in their lifetime. What must I do to gain eternal life? So this question is asked. But suddenly, the answer seems to come down and hinge on a seemingly trivial and common discussion about neighbors. You may be forgiven for thinking, well, what's happening here? I thought this would be a, a deep and spiritual conversation, not about neighbors. Who lives next door to me? Whom should I consider to be my neighbor? But that's still a question we grapple with even up to this day. 
most of our relationship either broken or built up depending on what type of people we live next to. Not physically, but those that we interact with. So you might think, well, this is a simple question. Who is my neighbor? Why was it so important to him? If you go on to Romans chapter 13 from verse 8, it says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you begin to realize then how loaded this question was. It was not as trivial as it may seem on face value. Because for him to attain eternal life, he suddenly realized it has to do with how I live with my neighbor, how I relate to my neighbor. It's interesting to note that the man had no queries about how to love God. Yet recited the law back to Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yet no problem with that. But it was his fellow man that he had issues with. Jesus could simply have given him the answer straight on. Who is your neighbor? There is the answer. But Jesus decides to go through a story. He decides to take this young lawyer through a journey in the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if Jesus had not taken him through the journey, he would have robbed this man of something that was very important, which was to bring this man to a place of conviction, a place of acceptance. Remember, the sole reason that he's coming to Jesus was not born out of pure intentions. First of all, the scripture said he came to test the Lord Jesus. And second, it came, he came to justify himself. He came to justify how he related to his fellow men already. Those were his intentions. So giving him a straight answer would simply have opened the door for further discussions and arguments about the law. So Jesus takes him through this story. And with God, the journey is as important as, as the destination. Amen. Because the journey determines what we have become by the time we get to the destination. And oftentimes what you are when you get to the destination is what will sustain you at your point of destination. Josh gave us a simple example last week and said, well, if you want to rise to the top in your company, you can do it in many ways. He gave an example of you really pushing everyone aside, toppling everyone, making enemies as long as you got to the top. But when you get to the top, you forget that you need everyone who is below you to support you and execute whatever work you need done. So do not be fooled when people tell you it doesn't matter how you get there. Don't be fooled when people say, no, the end justifies the means. With God, it's not just about the destination, but how you got there. Paul understood this fact 
about the journey. And he says, no, I fight my battles in a certain way. I fight my, my, my race in a certain way so that when I get there, I am not disqualified. So Jesus takes this man through this journey. So what then caused a change of heart from this man who came with an adversarial attitude? Suddenly, after this story, he accepts who his neighbor is. And it's not even Jesus who is telling him who the neighbor is. It's himself. He is simply led that way and acknowledges who his neighbor was. In this story, there are, two, there are three characters I want us to look at this morning. There is the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. These are not specific individuals. These are types of individuals. So when we say the priest and the Levite is a type of person. Amen. These types were specifically included in this story because this man could relate to. The priest and the Levite knew the law of God. As we have already seen at the start, this man was an expert in the law of God. So the priest and the Levite were put there so he could identify with them. Now the Samaritan is an interesting type here. Samaritans were looked down upon. They were despised. So if you remember, when Jesus was at the well and this Samaritan woman came and he asked for water, the woman says to him, why ask water from me, a Samaritan? Don't you know that you Jews and Samaritans, we have nothing in common, nothing in common between us. So there was a reason why the Samaritan was put there. He was the opposite of what this young lawyer represented. Amen. So we'll look at them one by one. We'll start first of, first of all with the priest. The scripture says, as he was approaching, going down this road, he sees this man lying there. And the scripture says, not only says he passes by, but he says he passes by on the other side of the road. No interest whatsoever to help this man. He didn't want to get involved on the other side. Amen. If I was walking on this stage... And coming here is the man lying down there. If I was the priest, this is what he did. He comes, he sees there's a man lying there, and he goes on this, this side. As far as he could from that situation, didn't want to get his hands dirty at all. If there was anyone who would have known the love of God, it would have been a priest. By nature of his position, he was to be a person of compassion, desiring to help others. But though he knew the law, he did not practice it at all. And sometimes we may do the same as believers. We may know the word of God. But when we come across needy situations, we might walk on the other side. That is not going to change the world if believers can't even get involved in the world around them. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, 
But be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's what we should be as believers, doers of the word. A lot of priests and Levites lived in Jericho, according to history. And they would go up to Jerusalem when it was their turn to serve at the temple. So it is very likely this priest was coming from his time of service, going back home. Now, if a man coming from the house of the Lord cannot be bothered to help someone in need going on his way home, then what is to be made of that man's faith, his religion, and his God? It is important that we are doers of the word, that we practice what we are taught, that we practice what we read from the word of God. Romans chapter 2 verse 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but doers of the law will be justified. According to James chapter 1 verse 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Sometimes we err on the side of fulfilling the latter part, keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, living a holy life. But we don't do the second bit, the first bit of actually ministering to our fellow men when they are in need. Secondly, the scripture recalls that the priest came down this road by chance. Some versions say by coincidence. So when he started off his day, this had not been on his agenda. He had not expected to find himself in this situation. And perhaps it was such a great situation that rendered him helpless. Sometimes it happens. Maybe we're taken by surprise by situations and we can't actually do anything. But to the man lying on that road, what better person to come by the road? If you are the one beaten and wounded and left there for dead, what better person would you hope for to pass by than a priest? A servant of God. Perhaps he will minister the power of God to you while you are lying there. Perhaps he will pray with you and encourage you before taking you to a hospital. But no, this was not the priest. He had better things to do. And he simply passes by. 
How often in our days as Christians do we come across the unexpected? And when that happens, does it paralyze our Christianity? Do we forget our Christianity when that happens? The scripture says we must be ready at all times, in season and out of season, ready to do the word of God. Amen. Now there's, a, there's one reason that the priest could potentially have ignored the man. Numbers chapter 19 verse 11 to 12 says, He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day, and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. So you have to here perhaps think the priest was afraid to defile himself. That's a legitimate uh, reason. And perhaps his next time to go back to the temple was in less than seven days. So that would have disrupted his pattern. But surely one thing that he never did, he didn't even bother to go and check if this man was dead or alive. He did not know if the man was dead or alive. He didn't bother to go and check. So whatever his schedule was, it cannot be used as an excuse for doing nothing. He didn't go near to him at all. And it's the same with us as Christians today. If we were to detach ourselves so far from the world around us, then how are we expected to minister to the world? How is the world expected to accept the message of the Lord Jesus when all the time we detach ourselves? Jesus prayed an important prayer. He said, Father, I do not pray that you will take them away from this earth. Leave them here. They have a work to do. I pray, though, that you will protect them. But we are to be among our fellow men and going about the work of the gospel. Separating ourselves is never the answer. It merely separates the message of the gospel from the lost world that needs it the most. And next comes the Levite. Now, if you were to go by hierarchy, uh, all priests came from the tribe of Levi. If you were to go by hierarchy, you had the priests, and then you had the Levites as a, as a people. Then you would have the Samaritans. So next comes the Levite here. Now he did one thing that the priest didn't bother to do. The scripture says that when he came and saw that there was a man lying there, it says he went and looked. So let's give him credit. He didn't just ignore this man outright. He went and looked, examined the situation. So he knew how dire this man's condition was. He knew how bad his injuries were. Perhaps felt sorry for the man. But that's as far as it went. And then again, just like the priest, the scripture says, he passed by on the other side. 
I don't know whether the priest and the Levite were afraid that maybe the people who beat up this man may still be in the vicinity and will attack them as well. It's a legitimate question to raise. But if fear then prevents us from showing the love of God, then we're not good for anything. So after he has looked, he knew the situation, he goes away. But you know the scripture says in James chapter 2 verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We can identify with the priest that sometimes we know the intimate details about the sufferings of some of the people in our midst, even within the church. We know the details. But we simply do nothing to help them. Unless that knowledge is accompanied with practical action, it does not benefit anyone. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is within your power to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. You know, God is a fair God. You will not expect us to do something that we don't have the means to do. Amen. He says, when it is within your power to do so, why do you let that man who is suffering go rather than provide the things that they need? How would you feel if you were in need? I sympathize with you as much as I can, but I'm not bringing the practical solutions that I am able to bring into your life. So then what does the scripture say? The Levite also passes by on the other side and goes away. And then lastly, we have the Samaritan man. There are three things that this man did that the others didn't do. First of all, when he saw the man, he showed compassion. Amen. Compassion. And that compassion in itself pulled him to help this man. Secondly, he gave of his time to help this man. The one thing that we can be so sure about this morning is that whatever the Samaritan man was, go wherever he was going that day, he never made it to that place because he stopped and focused on this man. Scripture said, says that he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil 
on his wounds to soothe his skin, which was obviously in great pain. He says he poured wine on his wounds. If today by, by today's terms, we'll be saying he's disinfecting his wounds. So he's taking great care for a stranger he finds in the middle of nowhere. Carefully bandages him. Then, which is, this is what, you know, emergency services do when they get to a site where someone is unwell. They don't immediately throw you into the back of an ambulance and off. They take time to assess you and treat you there. And when you are comfortable, they lift you, put you on that bed, put you in the ambulance, and you are off. But they take great care while you are there where they found you just to make sure you are cared for. So off, the good Samaritan then lifts this man, puts him on his own donkey. And then he takes him to the nearest inn. Now, obviously, as you can see, his donkey could only take one man. So now the injured man is at the top. The Samaritan has to walk all the way. I don't know how many miles that would have been. I'm sure it was not comfortable at all. But he was prepared to help a stranger in need. So he walks with him all the way until he finds the inn. Then the next thing that the Samaritan did was to give of his resources. Amen. First of all, he gave of his oil. He gave of his wine. And those were precious commodities during that time. I gave an example in the morning service that with wine, you can find it for five pounds, ten pounds. You can find wine for five thousand pounds. So this was precious commodity. But once he found someone who was in greater need than him, it did not matter how expensive and valuable those resources were to him. He was willing to use them on someone else. When he gets to the inn, he does not leave the man there. Scripture says he actually spends the night caring for the man. The following day comes, he has to leave, but he was never going to say, well, I wash my hands, Lord, I've done all I can, I'm going off. But he goes to the innkeeper and says, I have this stranger that I brought here yesterday, he's not well. Can you please look after him? He gives the innkeeper some money, look after him. But he says, if it takes more than what I've given you to look after this man, let me know when I come back. I'll pay you every penny that you used out of your own pocket. He was never going to shy away from his responsibilities to a complete stranger. And now you can argue and say clearly, the Samaritan man would have been rich. It's possible he was rich. Oh, he may not have been rich. He may simply have had the means to get every additional expense that was needed to care for this man. So he goes off. Now, the interesting thing here is that these expenses were never going to be petty. They were never going to be small. And the Samaritan man knew it. How much does it care, take to care for an injured man? Remember, this man was found half dead. If you're taken to A&E today, found half dead on a road, you are never going to be out in two days or five days or a week. 
you are facing an extended spell in hospital. So this man was going to stay for a while in the inn. So the money for the rental of the room, the food that the innkeeper was going to be giving him, any medicine that he was going to be giving him, and his time as well. So the Samaritan man was facing a huge bill on his way back. Now it's easy for people to say, well, unlike the Levite and the priest, he helped because he had the money to help. But I have three questions in response to that. How many people in this world, or rather in this building, have resources, but they will not lift a finger to use their own resources on a stranger? How many of us have time, but will never spend a minute of it on a stranger who is in need? And how many of us have a heart, but will not show compassion for someone in need? So it's not about what this Samaritan had or did not have. It's about him recognizing that someone else was in need in the middle of nowhere. Now I wonder what we would have done if it was us who found this man on this road. What would you have done? In your heart of hearts, what would you have done? Remember, as a stranger, probably you have your schedules, your diary, all filled up. Things that you have pre-planned maybe weeks or months in advance. But this Samaritan man from a group so despised, looked down upon, did not care about himself once he found and saw someone in need. Luke chapter 6 verse 31 says, Do unto others as you will have them do unto you. Isn't it funny that if roles were reversed and we were the ones left for dead on that road, isn't it funny how suddenly we know exactly how the first man to pass by that road should do? We suddenly know, of course, the first person must stop and help us. But we, if we were the passers-by, we'd probably think, well, I might run late for my appointment. I'm going on a day out. I've planned this for a while. I can't obstruct it at this stage. Well, someone else will pass by this road. Surely it's a busy road. There are many people who help. But the Samaritan was never like that. Responsibility was his the moment he came across it. Now, faced with the facts of this story, Jesus asked, this young lawyer. Then who among these three was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Obviously, the lawyer at this stage could not deny the truth. And he responds and says, well, the neighbor was him who showed mercy on the injured man. He's saying, yes, the neighbor to them was not those who look like me, the Levite and the priest. It was not those who speak like me. Those that I identify with. 
The neighbor was not the person who lives next door in that house to me. But the neighbor was the Samaritan, the complete opposite. The ones we looked down upon, that was the neighbor. The message is still the same to us today that Jesus said to this young man when he said, well, go and do likewise. You now know who your neighbor is. Go and do likewise. It's the same with us today. As believers, this should not be something that is even, that comes up for discussion with us. Jesus is the greatest neighbor one can ever find. Amen. You know, Jesus found each one of us seated in this room. He found each one of us lying by the wayside. In our miry clay of sin. He could have said, well, they knew better. They knew God's instructions. And they rebelled, so I will leave them to their devices. But he was not like that. Just like the Samaritan man was willing to pay every expense to bring this man back to life, Jesus was willing not only to pay every expense, but to give of his life so that you and I, who were not only lying half dead by the roadside, but we were actually dead in our sins and trespasses, he said he will give of his life that would live again. And he didn't just leave us there. Just like the Samaritan man, he didn't just take us to an inn and leave us there. But he stays with us. He cares for us. He provides for us, for all of our needs. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So then to us today, who was neighbor to this beaten man? Is it just my fellow churchgoer here in Com Church? Should we only be doing good to one another and not to the world out there? So then the young man realized his neighbor was not his fellow Jews, but that his neighbor was all men and that he should love all men. Now the reason why he asked this question is the scripture said to justify himself he already knew he was not meeting the standards for the law of God. You may be here today, perhaps feeling just like this beaten man. That those that you expected to help simply passed you by. Those you expected to support you simply passed you by and left you on that road. Men sometimes will disappoint you. Those that we thought would count on the most have done nothing. I encourage you today, fix your eyes on the greatest neighbor of all who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture says he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Whatever situation you may be in, he is there with you. 
to care for you, to bandage those wounds, to be with you and see you rise up again. So I challenge us today, when we go out there, let's look at the world differently. Who is my neighbor? It's not only those that we laugh with. It's not only those that we know, but it's all men. And the love of God is to be demonstrated to all men. When man sees the love of God, they cannot do anything but bow down to the name of Jesus. Stand with those who are in need. As the scripture says, if you have the means to help them, give them the things that are needful for them. As I said earlier, if I came here, I'm shivering and cold, and Wesley said, well, prayer, the Lord is with you. You go and be well. God will take care of you. And he sends me out. And yet, he has two courts. What has that benefited me? Wesley had the means. He could give me that court. Sometimes the danger that we have it is to be too spiritual with the word of God. The word of God is to be lived out there. It's not for us to know. It's not for us to be able to quote every single scripture possible. The true test for us as believers is living and doing the word of God. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. We thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you for the example that you have given us through your son, Jesus. The greatest neighbor of all. We worship you, Lord. This love that you have so abundantly shared abroad our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as believers, as we go out of this place, oh God, we will share that love with the world around us. Not based on preferences, oh God. Not based on likes, but based on humanity. That we will be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our communities. And Father, we thank you that we don't do that out of our own strength or ability, oh God. But we do it out of the grace that you have given us. We exalt you, Lord. Touch those who are around us, oh God, through our lives. As we go out today in this knowledge that our neighbor is more than those that we like. Our neighbor is more than those that we identify with. Our neighbor is more than those who are like us, oh God. Jesus, we worship you this morning.
thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.